Welcome to Neurodiversity Unleashed. I'm your host, Gail Suter, the CEO of Ignite Changemakers, neurodiversity consulting firm. Today, we have the director of the Wyndham Regional Career Center in Brattleboro, Vermont, Nancy Weiss. And I'd like to welcome you to our show. Nancy, could you just tell us how you got to be the director of the Career Center? And then we'll get into what the Career Center does. I ended up at the Career Center kind of by accident. I was a special educator. I ran an alternative program for kids who had a lot of trauma, but also had some neurodiversity going on at the same time. And then I was principal of a 3-5 school here in Vermont, left there, went to the career center to be what's called in Vermont, their special needs coordinator. And I ended up becoming their director a year later as an intern. I accepted that job in May, started in July, and by December, I was a full-time director. And this is my fourth year as director, and I really love it. Excellent. And can you tell us a little bit about the Career Center as far as like, who is it for? What does it do? Do you get a high school diploma? All of that. Sure. We have what's called a hybrid career center for Vermont. And that means that we have students who are half day with us. And then they either return to their sending school district for the rest of the day, or we have students that come from so far away that they spend the day at our high school. Secondary career centers in Vermont operate mostly for 11th and 12th graders. We do take some 10th graders. We serve students pretty much countywide. So all of Wyndham County, which means that some of our students commute an hour or close to an hour a day each way. We offer 11 different programs. Somewhere around 40 to 45% of our students are neurodiverse and are on some sort of plan because of that. They have varying degrees of neurodiversity and educational need. Probably our biggest group of students that would be identifiable are kids who come from economically challenging situations. So you know, not only do many of our neurodiverse students come from economically challenging situations, but so do many of our students who would be considered somewhat neurotypical. I think neurotypical is a word that doesn't necessarily describe anybody because we're all so different. I always share that I have a neurodiversity, undiagnosed dyslexia and and. I know that going through school with that, oftentimes people would say I was being lazy or I wasn't motivated. Is that the type of kids that you get at the career center? That's some of our students. This year, we have a couple of students from a local private school who are very neurodiverse in that they are close to functionally illiterate. And yet they are absolutely amazing. They have amazing skills with spatial relationships. They have incredible work ethics. We have been able to download the uh, electrical code so that it reads to our student who's in our electrical program. 
Um, it's fully indexed so he can access the code. It's about um, having him know the code well enough to find what he's looking for within that index. But we've built in some cues, we've built in some other ideas for him. And when he's in the shop actually doing the work, you'd never know that he was as neurodiverse as he is. You probably wouldn't know he was neurodiverse when you see him in the shop. He's doing an absolutely amazing job. It's been great for both he and the instructor because we've watched them blossom together. Oh, that's my favorite. I really believe that teaching is more like mentoring and that you're learning from each other. It's like a spiral of knowledge that's created between the two of you. And so I love it when I hear stories like that. So he came from a private school. How is that working? So his family are Vermont residents. He's tuitioned to the private school by his home school district because he is such a unique learner. He wants to go on and do something and he wasn't sure what. He came and looked at our electrical program and he just fell in love with it. He's unbelievably good at it. Would you say that he has a superpower, like he stands out above the rest? Oh, his work ethic is absolutely amazing. And it's not only his work ethic in the shop, it's his learning work ethic. He is just really determined to be successful. But one of the superpowers of CTE in Vermont is... Wait, can you tell us what CTE stands for? CTE stands for Career and Technical Education. The great things about CTE or superpowers of career and technical education in Vermont is that students spend a minimum of 120 minutes a day in the class. So two hours a day, 600 minutes a week with the same instructor with no more than 16 students, unless there's a second adult in the room, means that students really build that idea of belonging. And is that just the skill class or are they in that same cohort with all of their sort of academic and then career training courses? That's just their career training course. We also offer English and math classes. So if they take an English or a math class with us, they get an additional 80 minutes of Mm -hmm. time for either one of those or both. So literally they can spend their whole day with us if they want to. And Vermont embeds in most of our programs, it's a science or a math credit. It's a two-year program. So students literally spend 600 minutes a week with the same instructor for two years. And that builds incredible relationships. That's one of the strengths of career and technical education in Vermont. We have students who come back years later to see their instructors and tell them how they're doing in the field. And that's just amazingly important. So when they're there, if they get the math credit, are there graduation requirements in Vermont that those math credits will count for? I think most states still have Algebra 1 as a requirement for graduation, which nobody understands because hardly anybody uses it. But can you tell me how that works out? Yeah, the state of Vermont has a requirement that you need to take three years of math, four years of English, 
two years, three years of science. I think it's three and three years of social studies. There's no requirement of which math class. You have to have mastered algebra one unless you have have a plan that says you don't have to. So you can graduate now, if you have a plan. Can. But the problem is, like you said, you use the math you use every day yep. and you retain that math. But if somebody presents you with a formula or a geometry problem that you are not using those skills on a regular basis, you are not going to remember that. And you might as well go online to figure it out or use a tool that will solve the problem. I say this all the time. You would not build your house without a saw. That would be crazy. So why wouldn't you use your tools to solve other problems such as a math problem or writing a paper or any of those other things that we do every day in life, I just don't know why you wouldn't use the tools you have at your disposal. Our IT person on our campus said, well, you know, really you shouldn't be using AI. Well, did people say that same thing when they invented the wheel? You need to encourage your kids to use their tools and to use them responsibly. So a lot of schools have no cell phone policies and we don't have that. Your phone goes to the classroom cell, cell phone jail if you're using it irresponsibly during class time. But if you're using it as a tool for learning, then it's just a tool and, and it stays in your possession and it doesn't need to be put away or anything else. How was it for you to go from what I would say traditional education and trying to support diverse learners to a more career-oriented education. And do you notice a difference in kids' inspiration and drive? It seems to me like it would be more purpose-driven education instead of what I call hoop-jumping education. Can you talk about the differences that you see in the students? Sure. So traditional high school is 90% hoop-jumping. So when you get to career and technical education, most of the hoop jumping goes out the window. We are maybe maybe 20% hoop jumping in that we do have to do um, federal mandated testing and things like that. But we are not hoop jumping all the time with students. And what that means is the students learn skills as they're actually using those skills to do a task. For instance, they learn the geometry they need to learn in construction class to do the building jobs that they're doing. They learn how to roof at a certain angle because in Vermont we get snow and you want the snow to slide off the roof. And so you measure the angle that you know the snow will slide off the roof. So you're Um, learning geometry and physics. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. You build the roof structure to support the weight of the snow. It's not like you're learning a concept that never has anything to link to in your brain. And the reason that neurodiverse kids tend to really struggle is that they don't have anything to link that new knowledge to in order to maintain it. There's no pathway for them to 
effect. So why are you learning it if you can't maintain it? One of the things we talk about is we don't ask kids to remember formulas. We ask kids to have a list of formulas, usually maintained in their phone, or they look up the formula to use, or they may create a document for themselves. It makes no sense to try and memorize something that you have nothing to connect it to. If you are in the auto shop, you need to understand torque. Well, let me tell you, I am not an auto mechanic. I don't know the formula for torque, but I certainly know how to look up and find out what to use for torque if I'm completing a brake project. So it's really important to know where to find your resources. It is not so important that you memorize everything that's within that resource. It's interesting. I've been reading a great book called What School Could Be, and it's written by this engineer that toured the United States and looked at our unchanging educational system. And he was talking about how currently we're just training kids with the knowledge that AI collects on its own. So why aren't we instead training them how to use their resources, like you're saying, and then create from there? Why are we spending time and assessing skills that are already taken over by artificial intelligence? His biggest concern is that if they're on the college ready track, then they're just hoop jumping. That's what inspired me to track down a career technical education (laughs) director. Do you have the list of careers that are offered at your training center? And also, I would love to know how many students you have. Sure. Vermont is a relatively small state. We are a rural um, community, but I have a total of 286 students that are with us for half a day, some of them a little more than that. And that's growing consistently at this point. We offer 11 programs. I have to count on my fingers to remember them all. We have three levels of health careers. We have early childhood education, culinary, business, film, although that's going to be going away. We have both a protective service fire and a protective service criminal justice program. We have forestry and natural resources, machining and manufacturing, and then we have construction, auto, and electrical. Wow, that's a lot. What does your graduation rates look like versus dropout rates? Partway through the year, we lose somewhere between five and 10 students, depending on the year. Wow, that's low. Because they get in there and they figure out they're not sure that they like it. And do they go back to their regular schools or do they drop out? They go back to their regular school or some of them have enough high school credits so they graduate early. Our four-year graduation rate for kids who complete two years within the program is right around 95% and our six-year graduation rate is at 100%. Wow, that's great. I mean, that's really high. Do you collect any data after they graduate to see how successful they are? We collect data to see how many of our students remain in the industry that they have trained in. 
most of our programs are somewhere around 80% of our students stay within the fields that they study in. Now, there are some outliers. Both careers tend to stay in nursing or some sort of science and medical field. Our students who study auto, some of them stay in automotive and some of them go on to do something else. Sometimes high schoolers take auto so that they can work on their own cars. Filmmaking in Vermont is not huge, so a lot of our students don't stay in filmmaking. But culinary, a lot of our students stay in hospitality or in the food industry. It's a great thing to see that these kids get a real start. The other thing that Vermont offers is we offer what's called dual enrollment. And I don't know if your area has dual enrollment, but dual enrollment means you can take classes at your local high school that are linked to a college class so that at the same time you're getting high school credit, you're also building your college transcript. So we have kids graduate from our manufacturing program who just in manufacturing have 15 college credits coming out of the manufacturing program. And then if they've taken dual enrollment math and English, they can have up to 25 dual enrollment credits by the time they get done. So with the dual enrollment, if they decide to go into college, are there colleges in Vermont that will continue building their skills versus putting them back into the hoop jumping of like a college degree? No, (laughs) not really. But they will take the credits that they've earned in high school and apply them if they go to another college in Vermont. The only time they would have to retake something like anatomy and physiology is if the class at University of Vermont does not follow the same trajectory as anatomy and physiology one at VTC. On the other hand, our manufacturing students are pretty close to having their manufacturing certificate. And those credits transfer wherever they go for manufacturing and go directly onto their transcript of their colleges. In CTE, if they take a course that offers dual enrollment, they get those credits free. And in the regular high school, after their first two courses, they pay $100 toward the credits. But in reality, we have what we call a budgeted scholarship fund. So we budget into our local school budget to pay that for any student who needs a scholarship because economically they wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. Um, For us, it's an equity piece. Equity issues should not hold you back. Exactly. Do they get guaranteed acceptance into the Vermont Technical College? They do not get guaranteed acceptance, but I will tell you that most of our colleges are in situations where their enrollment has dropped. Colleges are accepting kids that in the past they might not have accepted. And the reality is that most students in CTE pass with amazing grades because they are so intricately involved in their program of study and they have such a good relationship with their teacher that they literally want to be in class. They're there all the time. They're engaged in learning. They're there and ready to go. A part of our grade is what we call 21st century skills, which are things like being on time and 
being prepared to do the job. There's never a reason not to be in class or not to be successful. That's great. And so with the 21st century skills, could you elaborate on that? Do you know what the others are? On time, be prepared, be engaged, like be present and engaged in the learning, not being on your cell phone unless you're using it as a tool. We have some programs that have customers. Our automotive class fixes people's cars from the community. So they need to have customer service skills. They need to be able to make eye contact to the best of their ability. Now, that doesn't mean that every student can make eye contact because we all know there are some students who just can't do that. We have a number of students in CTE that can be really anxious at time, but once they're in that experience and they're actually doing it, they do it much more easily because it's part of what everybody else is doing. And they're confident in their skills. So then they own it and it's much easier to look somebody in the eye if you know what you're doing. We talk about renting skills versus owning skills. When you're renting a skill, it's like you've memorized something for the test or you've learned something that you can use while you're actually in the class. But once you're done with the class, it goes away. When you actually own the skill, you know how to generalize the use of that skill. So, you know, an eye contact is one of those things that once you learn that skill, once you feel self-confident enough to make eye contact, you continue to do that because you have the confidence to do that. For students who are on the spectrum, we do a lot of training to have them make eye contact, social skills and language skills. But it once again goes back to, do they have anything to connect that to? Have they built the self-confidence to use those skills? Do they understand why those skills are important? And if they don't, they're not going to do it once they leave the room where that training is happening. And that kills me because kids get 13 years of free public education. And if we are doing speech for an hour a week, every week for their entire school career, and they're not gaining anything that they maintain, we are flushing that time away and we are not giving them the more important things that they might need. Right. And so this year at Wyndham Regional Career Center, we decided that our work would be around equity, diversity, and inclusion. As far as career and technical ed is concerned, they spend a lot of time looking at non-traditional career pathways. So like somebody who identifies as male becoming a nurse or somebody who identifies as male becoming an early childhood educator or somebody who identifies as female being a a welder. If you're going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you need to talk about everybody. It's not just non-traditional career pathways. It's about your neurodiverse kids. It's about your socioeconomically diverse kids. So we are building the system from the bottom up. And my two teachers that are involved in the process have decided that really what it boils down to is belonging. And Mm -hmm. I think that's true. Our goal is to have all of our students belong in the program. 
they're in and feel like they belong. It doesn't matter what their neurodiversity is, what their socioeconomic diversity is, what kind of diversity they have. We are all unique enough that we are diverse. So that sense of belonging is huge. And one of the things we've done pretty much since COVID started, but on a smaller scale, even before COVID started, we knew some of our students, some of our households wouldn't be warm enough. We made sure that every student had a heavy duty sweatshirt with their program name printed on it. We've just continued that. Like all of our electrical students have electrical sweatshirts. All of our forestry students have forestry sweatshirts. They wait for those sweatshirts to arrive. They want those sweatshirts because they want to advertise that they're part of that group. It's an important part of belonging. And it's why teams wear a uniform. Those pieces are really important for kids when it comes to belonging. Just want to say to your parents that listen to your podcast and students who listen to your podcast that. I know that for many high school students, one of the things that attracts them to the idea of a career or a certain path to follow is how much money I'm going to make and how clean is this job or how cool is this job. I will just say that the vast majority of jobs at tech and career centers now, or the vast majority of training for jobs is really clean work. And it's also work that pays at a significant level. So my students that are in programs right now, like my electrical students that are in program right now, will take their year one exam at the end of their two years with us. They will then go through three more years of apprenticeship and four years of being a journeyman, probably in most cases. And they will sit for their master electrician test. The vast majority of of master electricians are making over $100,000 a year. And students get paid to do their apprenticeship hours because they're working for a company Mm -hmm. while they're doing and their journeyman's time and their company after the first year test will pay for their education, the classwork that they have to do. So they literally graduate with no debt. And eight years later, they're making well over $100,000 a year. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us today on Neurodiversity Unleashed, inspiring changemakers and educators. We hope you found this episode inspiring. If you're, fam- if you're a family raising neurodivergent changemakers, a neurodistinct individual, or an educator, Ignite Changemakers is here to support you. Visit our website at www.ignitechangemakers.com to explore our services and free resources. Take what you've learned here and make a positive impact. Share your newfound knowledge and ignite change in your community. Together, we can truly unleash the power of neurodiversity. Stay subscribed and keep the conversation going. Give us a thumbs up if you like this podcast. And thank you for being a part of this unifying journey.
We'll be back soon with more incredible stories and insights. Remember, you have the power to make a difference. Let's unlock the potential of neurodiversity together.